Hello, and welcome to the HR Means Business podcast, which is part of the HR Happy Hour Network. I'm your host, Mervyn Dinan, and today I want to talk about something that is very important, I think, at the moment, uh, which is financial well-being. I was involved in some research about a year or so ago around well-being in the workplace and what uh, HR teams and leaders were prioritizing. And uh, mental well-being, emotional well-being, intellectual well-being all came out uh, as very high priority. Financial well-being uh, was was slightly lower down, but certainly a lot of what I see and read at the moment tells me that it, it is rising in importance, as one would expect with uh the 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 what is happening out there fin- financially for companies and obviously our employees i've recently read some research from a company called bipit and this is to do with uh financial well-being uh the the, the stigma maybe in the workplace uh, of employees uh needing to raise when they have an issue and i'm delighted to welcome uh, onto the show today, Jamie Lawrence, who has compiled the research at Bipit, and is going. We're going to have a chat about this. Uh, so, first, Jamie, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks very much, Mervyn. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks everyone for tuning in. So, I'm Jamie. I work for Bipit, um, and we provide UK employees with financial coaching alongside a range of tools, including spending analysis and goal tracking. I've been in the financial well-being space. Uh, previously at another company um, and I actually spent five years as managing editor of HR Zone which is one of the largest HR publications online so I've seen the financial well-being trend or, or, or sort of pillar emerge and become very dominant and as you alluded to the cost of living crisis um, has really propelled it um, into the organizational space and put it at the forefront of, of people's minds over the last year. So diving into the research, um, I suppose the first thing I would ask is uh, what what were the what are the two or three things uh, that really either surprised you or you felt came across as being very, very strong trends at the moment? Yeah. So if I put it into buckets, OK, there are there are two or three key things that came out. Firstly, we found quite strongly that there are personal factors that correlate with how likely a person is to discuss their money concerns at work. And just to provide a bit of context, this research was purely about financial stigma. It's a big blocker at the moment. There are comparisons with the mental health stigma. But as a general rule across the UK, you know, people people don't like talking about money. Uh, and we really wanted to dig into why that was, because it puts constraints on how we can improve financial well-being in the workplace. So just coming back, that's the first finding. So there are clear personal factors on the individual level Level that correlate with how likely a person is to discuss their money concerns at work. So I'll give you an example here. The more you worry about money, the less likely you are going to be to want to talk to your employer. So stat, 58% of people with money worries don't tell their employer. That rises to 80% for those who worry every day about money. And this factor, worrying daily about money, didn't only affect that core stat, which is how likely you are to talk about money at work, it affected related ones. So like, for example, of those who worry about money every day, twice as many of them say there's no one they can talk to about money compared to those who worry across other frequencies. So this is one example of how there are personal factors that correlate with how likely a person is to talk about money. Another one here, twice as many women as men aren't comfortable sharing at work, obviously requires deep analysis on that one. As a first bucket, 
The second one is there are organizational factors that correlate with willingness to talk about money at work. So perception of employer support. This is this is interesting. Um, we found 16% of employees who say they don't get any financial support at work feel comfortable sharing their money worries. For those that do, and by do I mean perceive um receiving any support, um, 62% of those are comfortable sharing money. Whereas, and I'm, I'm very clear here, Mervyn, to say the perception of employer support, because there's a mismatch between the level of support being offered when it comes to financial wellbeing in terms of perception by the employer and the organization. And that's, that's, that's really critical. Um, yeah. So those are, those are two bucks. I'll just go on. No, no, I was going to say, is, is there, um, did you find, uh, a belief maybe amongst employees that um, I suppose there's two sides of this. They they maybe don't want to admit that they have these issues or is it that they don't feel that their employers are in a position to help them or would be interested in helping them? So that is a great question because there's been a big shift in this in the last um, year. So I've been researching in financial well-being for a few years. And when I did this last year, I asked that exact question, which is like, what's the driving force, the most the most critical reason why you're not sharing money worries at work? And last year and actually about six months before that, I did two studies. Um, the main ones were internally driven. So feelings of shame, feelings of anxiety, fear of being judged, those types of things. And that jumped quite significantly. Um, and in this piece, the most common reason for not telling your employer was um, people did not think that their employer could help, which I found, come back to your original question, which is what was the most surprising result? I find it interesting that in an environment where we can say generally organizational investment in financial well-being has jumped, employees are not 100% how their employer can help them. And that's a driving force between not sharing at work. So there is a disconnect at the moment between employer and employee. Is, is part of that, do you think, because uh, if somebody speaks to their employer, uh, it will be seen as they're effectively asking for a, a pay rise? I suppose if you go to, if you go to a manager, a director and say, listen, I'm really struggling financially at the moment, um, it looks like you're just asking for a pay rise. Or is it is there a way that maybe people can address the fact that, that almost, look, I'm, I know you can't do much about this at the moment, but I, I feel I need to talk to someone because it's beginning to impact the way I perform at work? There's certainly a fear, I think, amongst some organisations that this can quickly turn to a compensation um, conversation. You know, uh, it, in the majority of the cases, when there's a direct concern about money, you know, financial stress, it it really doesn't have to. And there are a number of mitigating factors, um, um, just, you know, things that organisations can do to, to to sort of put in place that support. I think one of the things at play here is organizations have not quite got to the point where they're comfortable with the signposting role when it comes to financial well-being and money resources. On the mental well-being side, I think that's far more established with the sort of level of managerial training out there at the moment. Whereas on the organizational side, that relationship is not entrenched at all levels. So at senior leadership, at the managerial level, in terms of actual um, sort of content and direction on internal platforms, that type of thing. And I think that feeds into the actual finding around people aren't sure how their employer can help because those are not you know, fully embedded at the moment. So there's work to do there. 
your point, yes, I think there is some fear around that for sure. There's also, uh, to be clear, fear from the employee side that, you know, they it might be seen as a request for a pay rise and it's not. It, it, it could be a very specific request around a very specific problem, but they're not clear where that conversation will go. And that's a joint problem, you know, for us to move the dial on this, both sides have got to be clear about where that conversation is going to go. Otherwise, you get uncertainty, you get mismatch expectations and um, people don't want to talk. You know? Do you think this is something that the managers um, feel empowered to discuss with people? Or I know you said, for example, the um, uh, with the mental well-being. And one of the things that, the, for example, we found in the research I was involved in last year was, was the concept of mental health first aiders around the business of people who would, would I suppose, identify uh, uh, when they felt somebody needed help or people around the business that the that, that employees could go to without raising it with a direct line manager or director. Um, do, do you do you think that, that maybe this might start to happen in businesses as well when it comes to financial well-being? I think it absolutely has to. Um, that level of support and sort of champions is a common word used, you know, financial well-being champions who are trained to spot the signs, to understand some of the root causes between money um, leading into mental health um, and sort of, you know, connecting that because it's, a, I mean, it's, it's some surveys say it's the root cause, you, you know, one of the, the biggest drivers of poor mental well-being is, is poor financial well-being. So there's some root cause work to be done in training, in, 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 in sort of training people. But I think, I think it needs to generally, I'd say I wrote a piece um, recently around the differences and the similarities between the sort of mental well-being stigma and the financial well-being stigma. And one of the key differences is, you know, I don't think across UK workforces at the moment we have a shared language around financial well-being. Well, we don't, you know, whereas we're much more entrenched around the mental well-being space of seeing mental well-being on a spectrum of understanding how we can talk about our experiences with it and they not define us. And I think that that sort of shared understanding gives managers a confidence alongside the formal training. I don't want to I don't want to say that that's not that's not critical. It is critical. And actually, the shared language is a, is a core part of that. But we we have that with, with within the when the mental well-being pillar and we don't in the financial well-being pillar. And what that translates as if somebody comes to you and talks about money, it's very hard to know what you should do in that signposting role, because just like the same as mental well-being, it's not your job to, to solve it as a manager, but you need to redirect it to the most appropriate channels and provide that managerial support. And I just think there's there's a lack of shared understanding and, and agreement on, on how we should be doing that in this pillar at the moment. What role can HR play? Uh, obviously, a lot of our listeners uh, work in human resources. Um, the, the, I mean, we're talking between you and me about managers, leaders, directors. Um, but but how do you think HR can not be the buffer? But I mean, what role can they play in this? And 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 possibly, you know, are, are they the people who maybe should have the ear to the ground, uh, checking how people are coping? So it might be seen as 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 not as uh, not confrontational. But but if you go to a manager or director to say I'm having problems, then then it, it, it's probably easier to go to somebody in HR and just say, look, things aren't great at the moment. I don't want to raise it, but I want, I want to talk to somebody. Yeah, I think, I think they 
are in an interesting position. HR can and should be leading the charge on financial well-being, just like um, they have on the mental well-being angle. I think, you know, the business case for financial well-being is very firmly established now. There's lots of stats, lots of models that show the um, that show the return by investing in financial well-being. So I think, and, and my last piece of research, I did show the difference when you have strategic buy-in to your financial well-being initiatives, the, the output in terms of impact is far more established. So I think, you know, really um, carrying the flag for financial well-being at the highest levels, because there is clear business impact to it. So I think there's an imperative, there's a commercial imperative to bring this up at the strategic level. And that's really important because, you know, one thing that is very, very important to say is, as with all well-being initiatives, there's the investment in a solution or a, or a platform or, or whatever the organization does to do. And then there's the engagement comms and the adoption. And that's something I'd like to talk about soon, if that's okay, because mm. these two things go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. And if you get strategic buy-in for financial well-being, um, it's much easier to have that continuing investment in engagement con- comms. And they are absolutely key to engaging people with financial well-being, doing those in 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 the right way. Um, and I think just, just coming back to your question, I think, you know, truly understanding that signposting role and what that could look like when it comes to financial well-being. Um, again, it's 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 a sort of embryonic space in that more formal training, but that is coming. It's something we're looking at now, and I think there will be more available soon. And um, I guess also, you know, Mervyn, the, the opportunity with the cost of living crisis, for sure, although it's been terrible, it has encouraged people to talk about money and normalise talking about money to an extent there's a long way to go and I think HR have this really strong opportunity now to piggyback on all the news and all the things happening while people have money at the forefront of of their mind and basically drive forward this financial well-being agenda at a time when it is more possible than ever maybe to to drive it forward and and as I alluded to the business impact is 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 clearly there so if you can accelerate it then I think I think now's the time to do so. Okay, so uh, you raised the topic of of comms. Um, So what would be, uh, from what you've seen in the research, your recommendation for the right approach to take? I think like personalization of engagement, um, and I'm talking completely generally here, obviously the research is around financial well-being, um, but generally tailoring of engagement comms is, is, is absolutely critical because you know, as I alluded to, for example, twice as many women as men are uncomfortable sharing, sharing at work. What are the unique challenges going on there? You can slice your organization into varying cohorts. Um, and and all of those, if you do the work properly, and it's, it doesn't have to be hugely in-depth, you just need to understand your workforce and, and what motivates them. You can really get into the motivation and um of, of those individual cohorts uh, or teams on what drives them when it comes to financial well-being. And, you know, people aren't motivated if you say save more, save more, save more. It's 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 just not the way human beings, um, you know, naturally are. It's very hard to visualize the future. And so the role of engagement, you know, and this is HR as a marketing function, really, you know, the role of engagement is to help individuals um, visualize the future in a way that's aligned with their their goals, their hopes, their, their, their dreams, what's important to them. 
And that's the way to get people engaged with some of these core behavior changes that will result in significant improvements in their long-term financial well-being. Now, the best way to do that is to look, you know, you can't send personalized comms to everyone at work. So you look at, well, what are the buckets, the broad buckets that I, with my resources, with my investment, can 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 work towards. Um, and then you send as you know as tailored personalized um sort of content engagement as you can within that really trying to tap into people's 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 motivate uh, motivations within that and i'm always whenever i talk about this there's always a like warning bell in the back of my mind because it sounds like a huge piece of work and it really doesn't have to be it can be as simple in the fir- in the first stage as tailoring subject lines if you're doing an email campaign or the choice of graphics that you're that you're using but i'd say that this tailored personalized approach to engaging people with financial well-being is what works and so you have to take steps into it um and if you want high engagement if you want people to start you know opening up and talking about money you really need to tap into that motivation start small you know but it's the way to go in terms of hr's role i suppose it's interesting because uh, we're talking about um hr's role i suppose speaking to uh, the employees and the workers um what would uh, you know hr's responsibility maybe if we turn the other way uh, management leadership um, what are the conversations they should be having with them? Uh, maybe there are managers in the business, leaders who who aren't aware that this is an issue. It's a really, really interesting point. I'd say, first of all, I always say this first, um, the thinking that, you know, at the C-suite, I know it's a stereotype, but, you know, we're only interested in data, the number of people who are being affected, you know, after conversations with quite a lot of HR people, I'd say there's a real split of personality and, um, you know, how people are motivated at those higher levels. And I think HR people must have the conversation on various levels, both the data, and I'd like to illustrate the data in a minute, if that's all right, just in a way that HR people can, can really think about this. But in terms of, you know, the data generally across the population, the data for for the workforce specifically, I think surveying your own workforce and coming up with tangible insights into how people are doing is 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 an important conversation of raising, well, look, these are what our people are struggling with at the moment. And it does differ. The data I'm going to show is generalized and gives an illustration of how a workforce is thinking about money. But, you know, all workforces generally, you know, they're all diverse, but they all sometimes due to hiring practices or like the types of people in there have unique issues. And, you know, raising the financial health of your workforce is really important to to board level to sort of put this on the agenda so people understand what their people are going through. Um, and then the personal stories are really, really important. I've heard stories of sort of CEOs being moved by individual stories of a person in a unit having X problem and the organization helping them informally change this and the difference it makes. And that's the business case solved. Mm, you know, on the flip side, sometimes it takes it takes more work in terms of like bringing that to life through multiple stories. But a blended approach is 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 absolutely critical you know, the data is definitely one side. And I think I said earlier, Merv, you know, there's plenty of data out there on the impact on productivity, lost productivity, focus. Even pre-pandemic, there was a stat that, that was pretty well researched. I can't remember the exact one, but it was, you know, over a billion lost each um, year to businesses from absenteeism and presenteeism from financial stress. That was pre-pandemic. That's a big lesson. You know, the cost of living crisis have put this on the agenda. 
has put on the agenda, but financial stress was a big problem before it. It always will be. It's a perennial issue. Um, so shall I just give you this model quickly, if that's all right? Because I think it's quite relevant just to help understand. Yeah, no, please do. Please do. I mean, it, it, it's the... Um... I want the listeners to be able to understand as much of, I, I suppose, what you found in the research uh, as possible. So, so it helps them to 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 um, uh, uh, talk about it in their organisations. What what I'd like to do after this model is come on, so just explore that disconnect between organisations and people a bit more, because I think um, you know we found some some findings there around the disconnect. I think that will help people understand again what work needs to be done. But if I can just because th- this is more linked to that question around you know raising financial well being at the highest level. Now, if we take a thousand person workforce, what I'm going to do is illustrate some of the big life events or things that happen that sort of are notorious for being moneyed events, if you see what I mean. Um, Now, these stats that I've got are public sector stats um, or or from from sort of easily findable studies. They are applicable. What I've done is apply them across the whole population and then put them and then reapplied them down to a thousand person workforce. These are actually likely to be higher because they're more likely to affect people of working age. That aside, okay, so if we take a thousand person workforce, what's happening in that at the moment, okay, so 200 are currently renting and facing all the problems with the renting market, okay, that's doubled from 100, renters have doubled in the past, I think it's, it's, I think it's 10, 15 years, something like that. Um, This is every year, two are going through divorce, three are getting married, 16 are buying a house, three are having car breakdowns, nine are having boiler breakdowns, 11 people are having kids, 11 are retiring, not to mention all the people in the age bracket before that who are thinking about it, uh, and 12 people are renewing their mortgages. Um, and as we know, the mortgage market is in, you know, rates have gone a lot higher. There was a lot of stress amongst people looking to renew their mortgage who needed to when rates jumped like 5%. So this is sort of illustrating that we are financial animals. Again, it's kind of it's kind of obvious, but look like this and this is just a quick model when you actually look at the personal things as well the personal situations like debt um you know debts like individual responsibilities caring responsibilities that contribute to this you get a real picture that of how enmeshed finances and money worries are in our everyday lives yeah no i and it's fascinating to think that way because the the quite often when we're looking at the world of work i mean we say about bringing your whole whole self to work and everything but it, it's it's uh, amazing when you think you know that a, a workforce of a thousand all the different things that are happening in people's lives uh, which which you know money impacts them all um, exactly so yeah so and, and i suppose I, I said earlier on that i know it's not an easy it's not an easy thing for people to raise because if you raise it in the workplace or you raise it with HR, with managers, with leaders, the first assumption is going to be is you're asking for a rise um, because what you're saying is you're struggling at the moment. You, 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 therefore, the the I suppose the implication is you need more money. Um, but it, it's, it's really also just having somebody to talk to, shared experiences. Uh, I mean, all those people who are going through buying, renting and everything, they might not be having the discussions internally with each other uh, yeah. as well. So they don't know they've got other people that they see every day are in the same position as them. Um, that, that's a that's a core point can i just pick up on that because that's an absolutely yeah. core point you know the the kind of stereotype is you have money concerns and you go and tell your organization um in a formal 
route. But, you know, we can repurpose safe spaces that exist for other reasons to, to talk about financial well-being. That's one of the recommendations we give in the, the report, um, you know, and we can tackle stigma by opening up the conversation in non-threatening ways. So not only when people talk and feel the need for an intervention, but when people need to bounce ideas off colleagues to, you know, mention what they're going through, just talk about their money. There are ways to normalize the conversation without going down formal routes. And I think, again, this is this is another, I think, lesson for HR in that not everything, not all your comms and, and all the things you do about this have to be interventionalist. It can be um, around, you know, creating those safe spaces or, you know, talking about something that's available, a new resource or something like that. Everyone's on a financial well-being journey. And again, this comes back to that language of you aren't good with money or bad with money. You're on a journey. And if we treat everyone as a different journey and we need to empower them to move forwards, that really changes the conversation from we need to make it so people can come in and tell us when they're in real trouble to you know, people need to feel more comfortable um, talking about money generally. And that will empower them to seek what redress or insight or goals or you know whatever they need to improve their their journey and and Mervyn one more point on stigma is you know it's about obviously obviously stigma is about reluctance to talk about money or things that 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 prevent you from talking about money raising things but let's also forget that that stigma can create resistance to engagement resistance to comms resistance to colleagues and so that's another reason why we need to tackle it again not always empowering these formal conversations but empowering for example when hr send information about a third party service that person is you know not shamed or worried about following that link and going to it because they they don't have that stigma that makes them resistant to this type of engagement you know Jamie, it, it's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, you've you've identified, I think, a number of areas um, for people to kind of think about, contemplate, uh, which, which I, I hadn't considered before. Um, so, I think coming to to wrap up, um, anybody that's listening to this conversation, um, particularly HR professionals, uh, doesn't have to be. Uh, but what are the two or three, uh, I suppose, action points you would say to take away? You know, if somebody says, you know, what I want to do something about this in my organisation, where where do pe- people start? Um, first thing that went really really quickly. It was very enjoyable. Time flies. <laughs> Um, okay, so there's a couple of things. Firstly, I want to say one that is not directly related to the research, but it's something I always say to people starting the financial world being journey, because it's easy to do, first of all. And that's to look inwards, because the design of work can have big implications for financial well-being. The classic example, but one that's very relevant, is expenses policies. So, you know, you waiting, you making people wait six weeks to get reimbursed for expenses. This can have significant implications for cash flow, for uh, budgeting. You know, because these amounts vary, so it's very hard for people to track like where they will be at the end of a given month. So, can you reinvent these types of policies to promote rather than take away from financial well-being? And this level of organizational thinking, you know, really strikes at the core of like, are we as an organization creating an environment that empowers people to um, share their money worries, to talk about money and improve their financial well-being? Because, you know, that was one of the disconnects and we didn't quite get um, on on the time for this. If anyone would like to talk about this or hear more, please, please do feel free to get in touch. But there's a disconnect between, 
in HR and employees on the extent to which stigma is even penetrating the workforce. So 84% of HR think they provide an environment supportive of sharing money worries, but just over half of employees agree. So there's a disconnect there. I'd say, you know, one key takeaway is survey your people, but be very bold and be considered about it because there's even a disconnect on whether HR have asked employees how they're doing with money, you know, more employees think they haven't hr think they have and i think the design of that and how you ask those questions and how you even brand that up so it's clear you sort of care about this and are working towards a better position is 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 really important it's very hard to get a good view of your workforce's financial well-being if you're tacking a couple of questions onto a generalized survey so i think be very specific and bold and proactive and purposeful um start small if if that's a worry in a particular team um or cohort but be purposeful because that gives confidence to raise this and say this is what our workforce is going through is going through right now and then and then finally sorry i know i've gone you asked for one i've given no that's that's given as, as many as important yeah sure sure so financial well-being is going through the maturity curve that I think the mental well-being pillar and even physical has has gone through, which is you go from you know providing prescriptive solutions when an, when there's an issue through to being proactive in terms of preventing things from arising, and then finally going through to that sort of empowering place where we realize that it's actually not possible to say this is what you need to do to improve your financial well-being because it's so wrapped up in people's goals and dreams and ideas and 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 so what you need to do as an organization really is provide solutions that enable people to want to a and b actually take control of their financial well-being and so this empowerment is 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 absolutely key and actually it's quite liberating for organizations i think to to know that because you know they aren't there to solve the problem. Financial well-being is a personal responsibility. There's a huge amount the organization can do to, to empower people in this way. And then a bonus for it's very hard within financial well-being to define it, as I've just said, because it's so personal. And this is a good thing for the reasons I've said, but it can make it a bit worrying for organizations in HR to tackle it because they're not really sure what it is. And what I'd say to them is you can't design, sorry, you can't, define it at the top level but what you can do is separate it into the two core parts of financial well-being which are the objective side otherwise known as money and the subjective side which is known as mindset yeah informally the objective side the money is you know how much how much savings do you have how much debt do you have what's your plan what's your budget you know factors that go into your financial position and the mindset is what's your relationship with money do you feel good about money um you know what's your personality how does that in, interlink with money how does your childhood play into money and of course you can be good on one and, and bad on the other the stereotype is someone who's very wealthy accumulated loads of assets who feels bad about money because they've sacrificed things that were actually really really important to them that's the stereotype but for organizations you cover both bases and then you can improve people's financial well-being if, if you cover both bases that's a good framework for your engagement comes as well you know thinking about both of those this is a huge topic uh and 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 maybe we need a follow-up chat about it at some stage uh because there's obviously more to, more to cover um 
But uh, just before we go, uh, why don't you tell listeners um, how they can get in touch with you, particularly if they want to reach out, maybe get a copy of the research or, or, or connect with you in, in any way? What are the best way to reach you? Yeah, so um, do search me on LinkedIn. You'll you'll find me as Jamie Lawrence, uh, Lawrence with a W, and then Bipit um, after that, which should, should find me. Or you can email me at jlawrence, no dot, at bipit.com and um there's a lot more in the research I mean, we touched on a few different points but it, 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 it's the whole thing is a narrative around stigma where we are on stigma and how to tackle it and i didn't explore some of the things so if you'd like a copy do do please do reach out um we've we've also got some quotas in specific industries um uh, meaningful statistically significant quotas so we can make some interesting comparisons so if you're in a particular industry um i can't guarantee we have it we chose a few but but do let me know and i'll see if i can dig something out um for you as well yeah thank you jamie it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today uh and i'm sure it's been a great value to the listeners and um thank you very much for your time no worries thank you very much for having me Mervyn. really enjoyed the conversation and thank you everyone for tuning in <laughs>